Sorry, Joa, that's my fault. I thought I took it off mute, but I put it on mute. Good evening, everyone. Pastor Charlie is not with us tonight. He uh, is still recovering from his very bad back. Before I read the scriptures to you, I just wanted to invite you particularly to stay, hang around afterwards. The questions, uh, we have questions available for discussion if you would like to go into that, or just to hang around and to have a general conversation, or even to be prayed for. And we also have hot chocolates and cold chocolates available for you to enjoy. There's also a lost and profit, a lost and profit, well, it will be profit, yeah. Lost and found table. And there are some, mag this is a hair clip. Somebody owns that. And as I said this morning, if nobody comes and claims it, I'm giving that to my granddaughter. I've tried it in my hair. It doesn't, won't, won't stay. Otherwise, I'd wear it. But. And there are, some other, there are some other things over here. There's toys. There's even a, like a Fitbit. Somebody's left that here. So have a look. If it's yours, then you can take it. If it's not yours, and if it's still here next week, you can take it then. Our Bible reading tonight is from Acts chapter 2. We are working our way <clears throat> through the book of Acts, uh, not by, verse by verse, and we certainly won't cover all of the chapters, but we're looking particularly at, for the theme of how God worked in the early church and how he used early believers as his chosen instruments, which is what we are today. So the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 1 down to verse 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound... A crowd came running together, came together in bewilderment because each of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them um, speaking in our own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and other parts and parts of Libya near Cyrene. Even visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, among them made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine to drink. So that's our reading and our passage for tonight and we might even move a little bit beyond that, let's pray together. Thanks, Father, that we can be together. Thank you that you are a God who is real, alive, and who is at work in our midst and in our lives. And we invite you, Lord, tonight to help us to understand, help us to respond to your truth, to what you want us not only to know, but what you want us to obey. Help us to be submissive and obedient, instruments in your hand we ask and pray in the name of Jesus and everyone said spirit-filled instruments is what we've called tonight's message if you who was here this morning Woo. <coughs> uh, well ditto 
Maybe we should just show the video. <laughs> Tell you what, as we go through this, if you get a question or you get a question and you'd like to ask something, then just put your hand up and I'll stop and you can ask a question. Deal? Yeah, nobody will, but anyway, it's the invitations there. <laughs> and then at the end of it, we can even come together and to discuss some things. Jeff, the answer is no, it's not relevant. I had a look at it. Don't ask that question. <laughs> now everybody wants to know, what did he say? When did church begin? Well, it's a question that everybody has tried to answer, and there's all different sorts of answers, and it depends how you define the church, obviously. Um, but certainly when God's people came together, whether it was through Adam or Abraham or uh, even Jesus calling the first disciples and gathering them together in the upper room, by the time this event happens, the church is already formed and it's God's people gathering together. Um, and associated with this, there is something for us to be aware of that this is going to, uh, this is going to happen at a a point in history where God is communicating very powerfully to his Jewish people. They had some insights that we have to pick up along the way. For instance, between Luke and Acts, same guy wrote both books. But the order, the sequence of events that is sort of unfolding is very similar. The plot is in parallel. And I only draw your attention to that simply to say that in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus was here in a physical body. His ministry began with him being anointed, empowered by the Spirit, and then he went forth teaching and preaching and so on. In fact, that's what Luke does tell us in Luke chapter 4. It talks about Jesus returning to Galilee after being tempted by Satan in the wilderness for 40 days. It says he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. What happened to the Lord Jesus is what is to happen to us. He is the model, the example of the parallel for how we are to follow him. And if he, the son of God, relied upon the spirit of God, how much more do we need to do exactly the same? And in fact, when the spirit comes upon you, the spirit will move and help you to proclaim visually as well as verbally the reality of God in your life. That's what Jesus did. When he went to Galilee, he was as was his custom, the Bible says, that's worth thinking about. Here is the perfect son of God who every Sabbath went to synagogue imagine what it was like for the Lord Jesus sitting in a synagogue with people who are singing hymns or you know doing things and being distracted in their worship of his heavenly father but his custom he went every Sabbath and on this particular Sabbath they invited him to read the scriptures and he was handed the book of the scroll of Isaiah and he scrolled through it and he found this section because he wanted to read this section the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim freedom and set captives free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour when God's spirit is on a person when he's anointed by the spirit something happens in terms of proclamation something happens with our mouth and that's certainly what Jesus deliberately, intentionally pointed to and in Luke's parallel what's happening for Jesus as he was going through his ministry is to be happening likewise in the church that when Jesus was baptized he came out of the waters and he was praying and that's when God's spirit descended that's when God's spirit came upon him in the form of a dove anointed him with power for ministry so the early church 
What happened to them before they were anointed with power? They were praying. Same parallel. There are several other parallels too, but we won't go into those tonight. The only difference is, as remarkable as the parallel is, is that the body of Jesus is different. Jesus is in a different body. In this one, he's incarnate, he's in his own physical body. By the time of Acts, he has risen, ascended to heaven. He's gone physically, but he's now here spiritually. And the church is now his body. And just as his physical body was anointed for ministry, so his spiritual body, the church, needs to be anointed for ministry. We need the infilling and the baptism of the Spirit, which is exactly what the Lord Jesus said to the disciples in Acts chapter 1. Um, he appeared to them after his resurrection for 40 days, appearing and disappearing. He wasn't with them for 40 days. Got a question? No, stretching. Or testing, one or the other. For 40 days, he appeared to them on the first Sunday, then he doesn't appear until the following Sunday. Then he goes away again, and then he comes back, and he's appearing and disappearing. He's basically weaning them. He's getting them ready for his ultimate departure, that he won't be with them forever. And in the process, and on the last occasion of that, just before he ascended, he says this, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for what the Father has promised you, um, uh, which I've been speaking to you about, which I've told you about. In a few days from now, you'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit. When we read Acts chapter 2, it doesn't use the word baptised, it uses the word filled. We'll talk about that in a little bit more detail at the moment. But Jesus, as Jesus was anointed with the Spirit, so we need to be likewise anointed, filled with the Spirit. So let's look at this passage. <clears throat> we find out when it happened and where it happened from this verse. Um, when did it happen? Day of Pentecost. 50 days after Passover, uh, 50 days later after the first, the harvest began. This was one of the major religious festivals for the Jews. In fact, it was the biggest one. Passover wasn't the biggest, but Pentecost was. Because of the time of year that it happened, it was a nicer period, a safer period to be able to travel both on the Mediterranean but also by land. So millions of people came to Jerusalem. They're camping out in tents and they're all of the motels and hotels and family relatives' houses, they're all full. There's millions and millions and millions of visitors, I expect, to Jerusalem. Um, and where does this happen? It says they're all together in one place. The next verse goes on to say, you'll see suddenly a sound like a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were saying. Now, every time I've read that, for the last 40 or 50 years, I've always thought they were in the upper room. They're in the house. But this week I read and was stretched to think, and I think it's correct, but we can talk about this. Where were they? I don't think they're in a house. I think they're in the temple. And the word house is being used to describe God's house as it is later on in Acts chapter 7 and in several other places, the house of God. Why do I think that? <clears throat> well, primarily because of the time and also because of the logistics. What time is it? Well, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. It's Pentecost festival. At 9 o'clock in the morning in the, harvest of, in the festival of Pentecost, the people are going to the temple to pray. They prayed at 9 o'clock in the morning. 
They played at 12 o'clock and they prayed at 3 o'clock. So I think that's the first big clue, that there's 120 people who were gathering for 10 days and praying together in the house in an upper room, but every day they would be travelling to the temple because that's what Acts chapter 2 and verse 40-something, rather, 47, says they met every day in the temple courts. So there's the primary reasons. The other reason, I think, associated with that is that when this event happened, there's 120 of them together, but thousands of others came. And the Bible doesn't say that they moved. They stayed still, and this event happens, and others came to them. And it's just not possible that thousands of people could fit in the house. So therefore, I think that where this happened is in the temple. And it would have been in the court of the women because there were men and women disciples together, praying together. The women were not allowed to go into the court of the men, so the men would have stayed out. These disciples would have stayed out with the women and they were praying together. Well, what did they experience? They experienced something in terms of what they heard audibly. They experienced something in terms of what they see visually. And they'll experience something vocally. Audibly, what did they hear? A sound like the blowing of a violent wind, a hurricane, a cyclone. It came from heaven. It's not manufactured from earth. It's not manufactured by people. It's from God. God doing something in our world. And the wind would certainly remind them of God's presence. Um, throughout the Old Testament, God uh, would send the wind or he would send his spirit or he would send a breath. Same word that is being used for him to do transformation. And ruach, the Hebrew word for wind, a strong wind, is a wind that can be heard. You know when you're at home and sometimes you'll hear the wind howling? It's that sort of level. It's a very strong wind that we hear. But in this occasion, there is no wind. It's the sound like. It's a sound that they heard. And it came from heaven. And what it did is it filled the whole house. It wasn't outside. It wasn't up in the sky. It was within the walls of the temple. And the 120 were not the only ones who heard it. The other ones heard it, as we will see in a moment. So the first thing God gets their attention is this strong wind. Second thing God does is they see what appeared to be tongues of fire. The fire appears and then it separates, it divides and it goes and tongues of fire appear over the heads of the 120 all around. One fire uniting all 120. Nobody excluded, everybody included, everybody receiving this visual phenomena and it alighted on each one of them. And then fire definitely is used in the Old Testament to remind us of the presence of God. Moses at the burning bush. In the wilderness, the people of Israel followed a pillar of fire by night. Um, Elijah called fire down out of heaven. And there are various other references to fire that would demonstrate to these people, this is the presence of God. God is going to be doing something. And then not only did they hear something, see something, they also vocally did something. They said something. All of them, 120, were filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said they would be baptised with the Spirit. Luke says they were filled with the Spirit, used synonymously. And they began to speak in other tongues, in other languages, as the Spirit enabled them. 
This is a key significant verse and passage. If we didn't have Acts chapter 2, we wouldn't be able to explain the sudden transformation from Jesus' resurrection and the disciples and apostles being the way they were to then no Acts chapter 2, then suddenly all these other things are happening. They're changed. Well, what happened? Well, we have Acts chapter 2 to tell us. It's the Spirit came upon them. The Spirit baptised them. The Spirit empowered them. The Spirit of God made the difference between people who were potentially at one stage shy, timid, scared, into being bold, brazen and courageous in different contexts and scenarios. The Spirit made all of the difference for them. And I want you to notice that when they were filled with the Spirit, and this is consistent through all of the examples in the New Testament, when you are filled with the Spirit, something happens to your mouth. Now, Pentecostal and charismatic brothers and sisters, sometimes they will err by saying that the demonstration of the presence of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, is that you must speak in tongues. That's far too limiting, and that's not always the case. I have certainly, certainly have had occasions in my life, numerous occasions, and I trust many of you have, where you've been filled with the Spirit, where you've had his anointing upon you. Well, I've never spoken in tongues. I've prayed for it. I'd like it, but I don't have that gift. And God doesn't give that gift to everybody. But what God does give to everybody is when you are experiencing the Spirit, when you're filled with him, anointed, baptised by him, then something will happen to your mouth. You'll either be praising him, which is what this is happening here. You will praise him. You will thank him. You'll be sharing gospel witness for him, speaking for him, preaching could happen for you. Um, Prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. Something will happen with your mouth when the Spirit comes to fill you. And as I said this morning, there's a very rare occasion. But sometimes when the Spirit fills you, you'll also be silent. Like Jesus was before the high priest and before, the, and before Pilate. There's a time to speak and there is a time to be silent. And the Spirit will let you know. Remember what the Lord Jesus said, that when you get arrested, when you get persecuted, and they take you into courts and you don't know what you're going to say, don't worry about it, Jesus says. The Spirit will give you the words to speak at that time. Whether it's a strong clarifying witness or whatever it happens to be, a challenging comment, the Spirit will give you the words to say. Whenever we experience the filling of the Spirit, something happens to our mouth. They're not shouting. They're not ecstatic. It's not ecstatic utterance, these tongues that they're speaking. They are speaking in other tongues, in other languages. And in this case, this passage will go on to say it's even down to the very specific dialects. We can tell where people are from by the way they speak. Can't we, Elena? You ever heard someone speak from New Zealand? They sound different, don't they? They speak English. It's not correct English, but they speak English. You speak, you speak to people from America. Well, that's not correct English either. But even the Americans have different dialects within their own nation, don't they? 
We do too here in Australia. I don't know if you've picked up on it, but you can tell that the sound and the voice differences between people who come from different states. <laughs> anyway, I'll stop right there. That was the language that the Spirit gave them. He was bypassing their mind. They didn't understand what they were saying. They weren't preaching, they were praying. They were declaring the wonders of God, of the magnificent things that God had done. And when the Spirit comes upon us, sometimes that is repeated. I'm not aware where there has been a repetition of the other signs, because this is like a unique one-off event. This is the empowering of the church, whether it's the birth of the church, but from Pentecost, from Acts chapter 2 on, the believers are moving out, empowered by the Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, they are together and in private. By Acts chapter 2, they're moving out into public. We've been moving out ever since, and that's certainly God's will for us. So God's Spirit came upon them. Something impossible happened. They spoke languages which they did not themselves know, or particular dialects that they did not know. And what that demonstrates for us is that God had come in a special way as Jesus had promised, that the above us God of the Old Testament, who became Emmanuel, the God with us in the Gospels in the person of Jesus, is now the God who is in us, who is part of us, of the New Testament. That's exactly what Jesus, excuse me, what Jesus had taught in John chapter 14, verse 17. He's the spirit of truth. You know him because he remains with you, but he will be in you. It's hard to be, you know, speaking about the spirit and to be using these geographical distinctions, but Jesus does on this occasion and to that extent it's helpful. When God's spirit fills us, he controls us. And he controls us because he has control of all of us. Question, does God have all of you? Is there any area of your life not submitted to him? And when he has all of us, then we really are his chosen instruments in his hand for him to use. He, takes, he delights to take very ordinary, simple people who have encountered Jesus and to use them to share with others who have the courage to just speak the truth. And God's been doing that this week with some of the people in our very own church. Um, and I trust and hope that he's doing it in your life. The Great Commission, which is given to us by the Lord Jesus, requires this great compulsion, this motivation from within for us to, like it said back in verse 4, um, the Spirit came upon them and they spoke as the Spirit... <laughs> as the Spirit gave them, enabled them, as the Spirit gave them utterance. It's his Spirit in us doing the work. We don't have to convert people. We don't have to create opportunities. We just simply have to walk with the Lord, filled with his Spirit, be responsive to him, and be open to the opportunities that he creates. Like Ryan said last Sunday, um, when we share with somebody, we are simply joining a conversation that the Holy Spirit is already having with them. You're just another step in the chain, of link in the chain of what's going on. So here's the spirit of truth. He'll be with you. He is with you. He'll be in you. So what happened? That was the event. Now what's going to be the explanation of this? 
Well, there were Jews in Jerusalem, all of these ones visiting because of Pentecost. They were devout people. Notice it says from every nation under heaven. Some commentators want to even conjecture. Therefore, there were representatives from all of the 12 tribes of Israel. They were devout. Whether full-on Jews or whether people who had become Jews or whether they were, you know, uh, God-fearers who uh, weren't fully Jews yet, but they were seeking to follow and be true to God's word and God's ways. When the sound occurred, that rushing mighty wind, when they heard that, the people in the temple came running to these 120. And when they got close to them, they heard them speaking in their own language. That mystified them. They were amazed because they realised that they were all Galileans. How did they realise they were Galileans? Probably by the way they dressed. Gave them away. And then these guys say... Uh, then how is it that we hear them, if they're from Galilee, how do we hear them speaking in our own dialect? Fluently. Without, you know, error. That's the, I imagine, the intonation of it. There's the list of the people where it came from. Please note, right at the end in blue it says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue, our own language, our own dialect. They weren't preaching. They were declaring the wonders of God, praise, praying, glorifying God together. And that's what tongues does. Amazed and perplexed, they said, well, what does all this mean? What is going on? We've heard the sound. God has turned up. We hear these Galileans talking in our language and they're talking about the wonders of what God has done. It's almost like, well, what has God done? God is opening the door, giving an opportunity. But of course, every time God does work, then there will always be people who will push back and they will mock or resist. And sure enough, there are people there who said, oh, they've had too much wine to drink. They've had too much sweet wine. Peter overhears that sort of comment. And in fact, he stands up. He, all of them had been sitting in the court of the women, I imagine. And at this point, Peter stands up, but so do the other 11 apostles, which means the other 109 uh, disciples who were praying with the, the tongues of fire on their head, they remained seated and they continued to pray and speak in tongues. Peter stands up and he says, fellow Jews, all of you in Jerusalem, let me explain to you what's going on. Listen carefully. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. It's the time for prayer. It's not the time for drinking. Uh, this is the, what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Peter says, let me remind you what the Bible says. The prophet Joel had predicted hundreds of years beforehand, 600 years beforehand. My fingers are too heavy or something. Ah. In the last days, Joel says, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters, your young men will see visions, your old men will have dreams, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy, declare my word. God's spirit poured out, baptised, filled, poured out, the spirit coming upon in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon about, if you count them up, it's about 40 individuals. And when the Holy Spirit came upon them, 
whether it was a priest or a prophet or a king or whatever, a judge, when the Spirit came upon them, they were empowered for ministry, but it was always temporary. The Spirit was never given permanently to any individual in the Old Testament. There was a time when Moses was praying and uh, the 70 elders of Israel were together and Moses wanted the Spirit of God to come upon all 70 of them and that happened. And then Moses said, I wish that all of God's people would receive the anointing of his spirit. Well, Moses' desire or prayer, if you like, became God's prophecy and that's exactly what happened. So Peter is explaining, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy. We are now in a new age. Sorry. And the reality is in this new age, which began with the resurrection and the ascension of the Lord Jesus... We are now in the last days. In the last days, God will pour out his spirit, Pentecost. God gives his spirit to everybody who repents and believes and receives Jesus. Men, women, young and old, without exception. If you're a Christian, a follower of the Lord Jesus, you have his spirit. And until the last days last, until the return of the Lord Jesus. And in that time, which has gone for 2,000 years at the moment, and in that time, so we've got to be getting closer to the end, in that time, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, you likewise can be saved. It's open to all. There is no exception, regardless of age or whatever. And as I said this morning, God has wonderfully done that, demonstrated his amazing grace and mercy to people who are at the end of their life. We have a new family who have joined us. They're from Argentina and, and Chile, and you might know some of them. The mum, Louisa, is a nurse and she cares um, for people and this one particular person she's caring for, his name is Paul and Paul is getting on in years but he's also been diagnosed with um, cancer and he was given one week to live and he was scared of death and Louisa rang the church and I think maybe spoke to Pastor Charlie and and wanted a pastor to come around and on whichever day it was the only pastor that was really available was Pastor David, Pastor David Butterfield David did what he does very well and he went and visited Paul and shared the gospel with him and Paul responded, he prayed the prayer to receive Jesus and asked Jesus to forgive him for his sins, he's got a week to go he's still alive a week and a half later but he hasn't got long isn't God amazing that God would save somebody who can't do anything for him? Demonstrates God's heart towards us, how merciful and kind and gracious he is. God has done that on numerous occasions. He did it in the life of my mum. And I hope, I'm not sure, but I hope in the life of my dad, the same for Rhonda's parents. He did it with a thief on the cross. He did it with a lady in our church, Winnie, with her husband, who for decades was resistant, not interested in Jesus at all, had brain tumours and cancer, was dying. And they, people from the church a couple of months ago said, we're going to go on this Sunday, this is last time. We're going to go and we're going to pray for him. On that day, he responds, opens his heart and receives Jesus. Isn't God incredible? 
J.C. Ryle commenting on that sort of experience, because it is wonderful. If you call on the name of the Lord, he will save you. He is a God of mercy. But don't make the mistake of assuming or presuming that you can wait till the very end. J.C. Ryle makes a comment about two thieves on the cross beside the Lord Jesus. J.C. Ryle says, one of them was saved, that all may have hope, but only one, that none may presume. One was saved, one wasn't. Both in the last literal hours of their life, they would die that afternoon. This guy is in heaven. This guy isn't. So don't put off and say, I'll make that decision in the last day, the last week, the, last, the end of my life. I'm going to live my life and do my thing, but when I get to the end, then I'll turn to Jesus. Don't presume that that will happen. He is a God of grace and mercy. If you turn to him, he will receive you. That's what he's promised. But what often happens, what most often happens, is that as people age, as they get towards the end of the life, they become harder and harder and more resistant and less interested. So don't presume. Do not put off the day of salvation. Deal with it today. And some closing comments just quickly. Far too many Christians are living on the right side of Easter, but on the wrong side of Pentecost. What? What does that mean? Far too many Christians are living on the right side of Easter. They understand the death and resurrection of Jesus. They have repented, they believe, they received Jesus as their Saviour and Lord. They pray, they read their Bibles, they go to church. But somehow... They're not experiencing what happened at Pentecost. They're not experiencing what the New Testament talks about. They're not experiencing this infilling of the Spirit. Some of my friends in Sydney, they would say, Bible closed, God is silent. Bible open, God is speaking. Silent. Open. Silent. God only speaks through the Bible. Some of my Sydney evangelical friends. My trouble with that is when you open the Bible and read it, it says to me that God speaks through His Word, the Bible, but that He also speaks to me by His Spirit, that His Spirit witnesses with my Spirit, and that God speaks to me through other people. And so I need to be listening to Him to how He's speaking. And the Bible becomes the touchstone. This becomes the authority. God will never say anything contradictory to this. So if the Spirit says something to me, it'll match with this. If my brothers and sisters say something to me, it's got to match with this. I understand that. If you have the Bible alone, you will dry up spiritually. If you're still like Stuart was saying in his testimony, if you just study the Bible academically, you can get to know it. But it doesn't come down here. It doesn't transform your life. You, you know it, but you're not doing it. If it's the Bible alone, you'll dry up. If you close the Bible and never read it, never open it, and you go seeking the Spirit and say, Lord, speak to me and give me these wonderful experiences of doing it, well, then you'll blow up because you'll be misled and misdirected by all sorts of spirits. It's the combination of the Word and the Spirit together. When you have that together, then you grow up. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and helps the child of God grow and become like the Son of God. That's the pattern and the balance. God's Spirit with God's Word amongst God's people. 
helping us to grow together. Far too many Christians understand the gospel but are not going on and growing into a spiritual experience of walking with him. And when God's spirit fills us and fills us to overflowing, that's when we become instruments in his hands. That's when we become sensitive to the opportunities and to the open doors that he's opening around us. I think we've nearly said enough. Uh, We are now God's temple. I think it's interesting in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God comes upon people and doesn't come upon the temple, doesn't come to the Holy of Holies because now we are the temple of God. The physical temple is gone. Whether it's rebuilt or not, doesn't matter which view you have. Uh, The reality is the Spirit of God is now in us and that when we gather together, we are the temple of God. God's presence is among us. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst, Jesus promises. Just as in Acts, there's they were met in private, but then they moved out publicly, so we likewise are on that same journey. We are to be privately committed to God every day, but publicly connecting with one another, but also reaching out to those beyond the walls, concerned for others at every opportunity. Just to conclude very quickly, God will not, have, will not fill what he does not have. He needs to have all of you to fill you. You need to submit to him, um, present yourself to him, ask him to fill you, obey him with whatever he's given you to do. The Lord Jesus says, Matthew 5 verse 6, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, hunger and thirst, got a desire for it. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. He will satisfy you. So it comes back down to your choice, what he wants, what you choose to do. I pray that the Lord might help each of us find our voice, that he might fill us and that he might use our mouth in whatever context and way to be a witness for him. Let's bow and pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you're a God who is at work, that you love us incredibly, and that you have a plan and a purpose for us. Firstly, that we might come to the Lord Jesus personally to surrender to him and to receive salvation and forgiveness in his name. Grant that for each person here tonight. And then, Father, it's your will, as you give us your spirit, for that spirit to fill us, every part of us, and for him to direct our thoughts and our lives and to use us, not only in ministry, but also in evangelism and being a witness in whatever context we are. Lord, could you fill us and use us that your kingdom might advance? Teach us more about yourself. We thank you for the spirit. May you have your will and your way in each of our lives. I ask and pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Questions are available. Grab some of those over here. Grab a hot chocolate or a cold chocolate or whatever. And don't forget to visit the Lost and Found table. Thank you.